morning, everybody. From my family to yours, I want to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. I, I really believe your senior pastor, Pastor Benny, must have loved you guys so much that he has decided for Christmas this morning, he wanted to invite the best speaker in Perth to come and speak to you all this morning. But that guy couldn't come, so he said, if I can't get the best speaker in Perth to come and speak at FCC this Christmas morning, I'm just going to get the funniest guy to come and speak. And he couldn't come either. So he said, if I can't get the best speaker to come or the funniest speaker to come, I'm just going to get the most handsome speaker in Perth to come. <laughs> but he couldn't come either. So he called me last week and he said, Daniel, I'm desperate. Please, please come and speak at our Christmas service. So I finally said yes, because I didn't have the heart to turn him down four times in a row. So here I am. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, it is such a privilege for me to be here. It's an honor. Thank you so much, Pastor Benny, for the opportunity. Your leadership and your friendship has encouraged me, has inspired me, has blessed me so much. You guys, as a church, you guys are such an inspiration for our city, and we look to you to bring the beacon of hope when hope is lost in many parts of the world. Well, let me first introduce myself. My name is Daniel Indrajaya. I am happily married to my beautiful wife, Hulda. I have a photo to show you. You know, in the Ten Commandments, it says, um, and Commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet their neighbor's wife. I have the kind of wife that our neighbors covet. So I'm really, really privileged. I believe like Pastor Benny, I married up. So that's always good. You know, after we got married, we wanted to have a child just like any other couple would. But we had a lot of difficulty conceiving. So we went to a fertility clinic to seek for help if medical technology could help us. But after doing lots and lots of testing, unfortunately, our doctor told us that it is impossible for my wife and I to have a baby, not even through IVF. So obviously, we came home that day feeling very, very devastated. I was actually okay not to have a baby, you know, uh, I was actually fine. I just thought how unfortunate if this good look had to stop right here, you know, I think it has to continue, right? But my wife was really, really um, devastated and what made the whole experience really difficult for us, especially for her, was that every single time someone in our church had a baby, you would have people invariably coming to us asking us, when is your turn? When is your turn? Especially the uncles and the aunties. And my wife is, was not the crying type. You know, she's not the crying type. But, you know, and when people ask you all the time, when is your turn? When is your turn? When you tried to conceive but you couldn't, um, my wife got hurt as well because, yeah, sometimes church people can be so insensitive, right? 
So I was at a funeral one day and I approached some of the uncles and aunties and I asked them, when is your turn? <laughs> I know, I'm so bad, right? So bad. <laughs> and I'm a pastor too, so <laughs> that's pretty bad. <laughs> anyway, um, so we had the news from our doctor and, and we decided to, to pray the prayer of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible story, but Daniel's three friends were brought before the king. They were told to bow down and worship the king. Otherwise, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. And this is what Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, we believe that our God can rescue us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you, king. We're still going to worship our God. And that's exactly how we prayed when we heard the news. We said, God, we believe that you are able to give us a child if you want to. But you know what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. So we're going to just trust you. We're going to continue to serve you and worship you with joy, with trust in you. And not long after that, my wife became pregnant. And uh, so in January 2006, my son was born, and I brought a picture as well. So he's 15 years old now, and um, he's such a blessing. Maybe some of you came here this morning just to hear that story. Maybe you're going through some impossible situation right now. I'm here to tell you that our God is in the business of doing the impossible. Amen? Luke 1.37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. So, I hope you are encouraged by that. Uh, don't you think he looks like his dad a little bit? I still believe in arranged marriages, so if you have a teenage daughter, come and see me after the gathering today. Okay. <laughs> Shall we pray before we continue? Let's bow ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence here this morning. We believe there's not one person who is here by coincidence, whether they're here online or in person, for whatever reason that they came or tune in. I believe it is your spirit that led them here. So I pray that you will speak to us like only you can. Help us to open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Is Christmas still worth celebrating. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I just love everything about Christmas. Call me shallow, whatever, but I love Christmas. I love the Christmas carols. I love the Christmas shopping. I love the Christmas food. I love everything about Christmas. And obviously, one of my favorite activities during Christmas time is to watch classic Christmas movies. You name it, I love it. Miracle on 34th Street. Yes, it's a wonderful life. Yes, and my two absolute favorite Christmas classic of all time, number two would be the very touching Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin, and the absolute number one Christmas movie of all time is the incomparable Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Who's with me? Come on. <laughs> Is it even a Christmas movie though? Of course it is. What are you talking about? It's the best Christmas movie there is. But I love Christmas. I just love everything about Christmas. 
However, I do understand that we live in a very difficult time right now. Very difficult time. Who would have thought, just when we think that life seems to be getting back to normal, here we are having to be masked up again, right? Uh, this year alone, I've spoken to so many people that have lost their family members. Last week, I spoke to someone who, who lost his dad in, in Italy due to the virus. And, and only this week, I prayed for someone who lost his job. So I know what you're going through. Sooner or later, whether you're a Christian or not, you will realize that the world that we live in is in a mess, right? Sooner or later, you will find out, doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not, that there, is thing, there are things in life that your money can't solve. There are things in life that your education can't solve. Now, there's the cancer you can't cure. There's the marriage you can't save. There's a job you can't keep, no matter how hard you try. So that's why this morning, I'm here to bring you a message of hope. I believe Christmas is worth celebrating because it is through Christmas that we have hope. Hope is such a powerful thing, isn't it? Without hope, life is tough. Without hope, your struggle seems senseless and random. But on the other hand, no matter what you are going through, if you know that you have hope, you can almost go through anything in life, right? If you know that you have hope. That's why hope is such an important thing. Uh, I researched and I found out, according to the definition from Merriam-Webster, to hope is to desire with expectation of fulfillment. To hope is to desire with expectation of fulfillment. I love this definition. I think it's a great definition. The problem is, when your hope is based only on your desire, when your hope is only based on your expectation, man, you are in for a huge disappointment. If my wife had said, I hope my husband would give me a 10 carat diamond for Christmas. Does that mean she's going to get it? In her dream, maybe. And maybe in real life. You didn't let me finish. Maybe in real life as well. My point is, when your hope is only based on your feelings, when your hope is only based on your desire, man, you are up for a possible disappointment. That's why maybe people come to you and say, that's why you need to put your hope in God. You need to put your hope in God because when you put your hope in God, you will not be disappointed. Well, some of you, I know, put your hope in God and you are disappointed. You put your hope in God for a child, no child. You put your hope in God for your father's cancer to be cured, no cure. What do you do? What do you do when you put your hope in God already and you're still not seeing results? You see, a lot of people who put their hope in God are in for a huge disappointment because they're expecting God to do something for them that God never promised to do. I don't know if you are aware this morning, but God never, ever promised you an easy life. God never ever promised you that life is going to be smooth sailing, trouble free. God never promised that you're going to be fulfilled in every desire, every dream that 
you have. God never promised any of that. But the good news of Christmas is this. God actually does promise us something. And this something that God promised us is so important, is so significant. It is the promise of all promises. Because God knows you need more than just being able to pay mortgage. God knows that you need more than just for your dad's cancer to be cured, than for your husband to come back home. God knows that you need more than that. And that's why God gave us the best promise of all. Actually, this promise was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Through his prophet named Isaiah, God says, unto us a child is born, right? A son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this morning, I want to bring the hope of Christmas back to you. I want to read one verse that is the, the favorite verse of mine for many, many years. And it has been the favorite of a lot of people for many, many years. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. You may have heard about this verse before. You might have seen it in large beach towels. You might have seen it in sporting events. This is such a powerful verse. It's written by one of the closest friends of Jesus by the name of John. John followed Jesus around for about three and a half years. He's, he's seen everything that Jesus did. He's heard his powerful teaching. He's witnessed all the miracles that Jesus did. And he also came to a place of disappointment. When Jesus was finally caught and crucified, he, like all the other followers, the disciples of Jesus, he too was disappointed until he met with the resurrected Jesus. In fact, John was the first person who ran into the empty tomb of Jesus. And this is what John wrote for all of us. In John 3, verse 16, this is what the Word of God says. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like I said, by far, this is the most amazing, wonderful verse in the whole Bible. So I want to unpack this a little bit. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. For God so loved me. Contrary to popular beliefs, God is not some angry judge who is out to get us. He's not some big boss that we need to please, otherwise we'll be in trouble. No, God loved the world so much. And I love that word so in the Bible. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world, He so loved the world. And the proof of that love was in His Son. He loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son. He didn't send us some old, bad-smelling angel with one missing tooth and broken wings. He decided to send you and me his very best, his son, Jesus. Can you imagine that? Imagine that with me for a second. 
would you sacrifice your son, your only son, for others? I remember when Jaden was born, we were so excited and my, my wife couldn't, you know, contain the, the excitement of having a baby of our own after years of waiting. So one, one time I remember um, I was trying to like make a prank. I was just joking, you know, and I was just trying to get her reaction. I asked her, as a joke, I asked her this question. Hey, hey honey, would you sell Jaden for a million bucks? And pulled up my wife. She got so angry. She knew I was joking, but she got so angry. She said, I sell you for a million bucks. You know, like, oh, what? Just a joke, honey. You know. She said, in fact, I'll sell you for $10. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I love you guys. I do. I, do. I, lo I love all of you. But let me tell you, sorry, without <laughs> meaning any offense, I will not sacrifice Jaden for you. That's for sure. Right? But this is how much God loved us. He gave us His one and only Son. And you're thinking, am I included in that love? You don't know what I've done, Daniel. You don't know where I've been. I'm not sure if you know what I've done that you would say the same thing still. You're right. I don't know what you've done. But guess what? God knows. God knows everything. And it says here, for God so loved the world. And you and I, we are part of the world. So you can change the word, the world, with anything that you like. Is it okay, for example, for me to replace the word, the world, with prostitutes? For God so loved prostitutes so much that He gave His one and only Son. Can I change the word, the world, with corrupt politicians? Can I change the word, the world, with murderers, with rapists? Of course we can. Because they too are part of the world. And guess what? You can replace the world with your name and with my name, no matter what you've done. I want to read you something from one of my favorite authors. authors. His name is John Ortberg. This is what he wrote. This is how much God loves you. God loves you on your best day. God loves you on your worst day. God loves you when your heart is filled with gratitude towards God. God loves you when your heart is loaded with pain and confusion and anger toward God. God loves you when you trust Him. God loves you when you don't think He's there. God loves you when you're sober. God loves you when you're drunk. God loves you when you feel confident and useful and strong. God loves you when you feel anxious and weak and useless. God loves you when you were in your crib. God will still love you at your deathbed. You might be thinking, I've gone too far, I've seen too much, I'm in too deep, I've made too many bad decisions. Nope. With other people maybe, you may have disappointed your parents, you may have alienated your spouse. You may have neglected a friend. You may have embarrassed your children. All human love is imperfect, but not God's. With God, you can always come home. Because God's love for you can never, ever be extinguished. Isn't that wonderful? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever means whoever, whoever means anyone, whoever believes in him. It doesn't say whoever behaves in him. I'm not saying that behavior is important, but behavior is not your ticket. Only faith, only believing in him is your ticket to receive his love, to receive his grace, to receive his forgiveness. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, the good news of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, is that God gave us the very best gift possible, the gift of His Son. But that's not all. If you accept this free gift of His Son, you also accept another gift, and that is the gift of eternal life. You know, English is not my first language, as you can tell by my accent. So I love studying grammar. That's what you do. When you learn a new language, you pay attention to the grammar, even though you can't speak the language yet. And I noticed in John 3.16, a very, very powerful tense that we can all take home, that we can all take to the bank. It says here, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, past tense, gave, that whoever believes in Him, present tense, will not perish, future tense, but have eternal life. What tense is that? That's present tense as well. So here's what God is promising us through John. When you believe in Jesus Christ today, you receive eternal life today. I used to think, you know, if I put my faith in Jesus now, I will have eternal life when I die. That's not what the grammar says. The grammar, by using present tense, clearly indicates if I put my faith in Jesus now, I have eternal life now. I don't know if you are aware, but eternal life begins now. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. So cancer is easy for God. Let me tell you, joblessness is easy for God. Giving you a child, that's easy for God because God came to give you life, life in all its fullness. But in theology, we have this what we call already but not yet. You see, Jesus started the ball rolling 2,000 years ago when he was born, when he died on that cross. He started the ball rolling, but the final fulfillment of that promise, you know, fullness of life as in the actual meaning of really fullness, realization of life itself, that will come in the future. Do you know that the baby Jesus that was born in the manger will come back again with all his glory and power and might. When he comes back again, for once and for all, he will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more injustice, no more cancer, no more wheelchairs, no more, none of that, no more death. Jesus has accomplished that 2,000 years ago for us. That's what Jesus promised us in John 3, 16. So, what did he do? Here's another amazing verse right after John 3.16. A lot of people know about John 3.16, but not too many people know John 3.17, the very next verse after. Here's what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. According to this verse, Jesus came for one reason and one reason only, and that is not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At one point in his ministry, he encountered public enemy number one in the person called Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector at the time, really hated by the people, uh, really, really public enemy number one. Nobody wanted to be associated with him, but Jesus, being full of love and grace and forgiveness that he is, he chose to spend some time with Zacchaeus, chose to spend time with him, went to his house, and when people complained, this is what Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's his mission when he was on earth. And that's still his mission today. I don't know what your priority is in life, but let me tell you what God's priority is right now in our world. Right now in our world, God's priority is to seek and save the lost. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, your life will not be fulfilled until you make Jesus' priority your priority. Let me tell you, whatever is important to you is important to God. You think your family is important? When I ask people like, hey, what's, what's your priority right now? People will invariably say to me, my family is important. You know what? Your family is important to God too. That's why God wants your family safe. Or people will tell me, oh, my, my, my health is important. Yes, you're right. Your health is important to God too. Because when you're healthy, you can spread the good news of the gospel with people around you. My career is important. That's right. Your career is important to God too. Because God placed you where you are in your workplace, not just to earn money, not just to advance your career, but God wants you to be salt and light where you work. Because if, if your work is important to you, it is important to God. God's priority right now is to seek and save the lost. So, that's what Jesus did. And like any gift, right? I'm coming to the end of our sharing this morning. But like any other gift, any gift must be received for you to make it yours. That's why this morning I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you that invitation. Actually, I'll take that back. Jesus wants to give you that invitation this morning for you to come to Him. One final verse for the day in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Wow. Just that word alone, rest, is so peaceful. It's so good, isn't it? That's what Jesus wants to give every single one of us. I'm glad Jesus didn't say, come to me, all of you who are strong and powerful and educated. No. I'm glad Jesus didn't say, come to me, all of you who are religious, all of you who never miss church, all of you who read your Bible all the time. I'm glad Jesus didn't say that. I'm glad Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, if you're tired, if you're burdened, come to me and I will give you 
rest. I will give you rest. The ultimate rest that we all need. The forgiveness of our sins. The grace that is undeserving. Eternal life that will last forever. That's what Jesus wanted to give every single one of us this morning. So would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for a second? Like I said earlier, I don't believe there's any one of you who is here by coincidence. I believe you're here for a reason. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I believe today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you don't understand everything about Christianity. Maybe you're saying, but I don't, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't know much about church. That's okay. That's okay. As long as you realize that you're not perfect, as long as you admit that you're a sinner, just like me, just like everybody here, that is what God wanted to hear. If you humble yourself and come before God and say to Him, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness in my life. I need that free gift of eternal life. Then God will keep His promise and will give it to you because that's exactly what He wants you to have. Or maybe some of you, you've been away from God for, for a while. You're a follower of Jesus, but, but you, have been walk, you haven't been walking with Him for whatever reason, maybe disappointment, maybe hurt. Again, this morning's invitation is for you as well. Jesus is saying to you, child, it's time to come back home. It's time to come back home. So if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you just say and admit what your need is before God? I want you to repeat after me this prayer. It's not a magical prayer, but God sees what's inside your heart. And when, when you are genuine in what you say, God will come through for you. He will give you what He promised. So would you repeat after me? And I want all the Christians to repeat after me as well as a sign of our support for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Repeat after me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Thank you for Jesus who was born, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, for me. Thank you for a complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Today, I choose to put my faith in you as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I don't deserve it, but you did it for me. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you give a huge round of applause for those who prayed that prayer for the very first time? Wow.
Wow, that is the best decision that you will ever make in your life. Do you know that heaven is rejoicing right now for you? And I am rejoicing over you as well. So why don't we give them a hand one more time? <laughs>